It's a special TX Water Polo podcast today, featuring my conversation with another of Texas's greatest water polo exports, Zane Bilal. As a Baytown Sterling High School standout in the late 2000s, he attracted the attention of some of the biggest names in collegiate water polo, and maybe the biggest of them all, USC convinced him to settle in Los Angeles, where he proceeded to win three NCAA championships. We talk about that experience, his great teams at Ross Sterling, his place in the list of top Texas water polo athletes, and a game at Stanford that did not go as expected in many ways. So, one note, um, you're going to now experience our first attempt at using Zoom to record a conversation, and it did not go well. Um, Luckily, Zane sounds absolutely fine, but you'll have to forgive the even more tinny sound that's coming from me. Uh, Wrong microphone, it seems. Um, So anyway, you've been warned, and now... Zane Bilal. Here we go. Two thousand seven, Tisco Water Polo Most Valuable Player, three-time NCAA champion at USC, and considered among the best ever to come out of the state of Texas. It's Zane Bilal. How are you doing, Zane? I'm good. How about yourself? Well, <laughs> as good as can be expected, being locked <laughs> up in the house. Although things are opening up, we'll, we will—that's uh, that, going to be a topic of conversation for the next podcast with Joe is to talk about his, I found out some stuff about my, my club, which is actually quite encouraging. So what about for you? Um, you are in Lubbock, correct? And uh, what has that been like? Cause you're in the midst of your med school career basically. And uh, obviously this has thrown everyone for a loop. What are, what, how has it affected you? Yeah. So typically right now I'd be finishing up my third year. Uh, I'd be in the hospital, um, doing some clinical rotations, but right now I'm actually home in Baytown um, and I'm doing l- class virtually through Zoom, um, doing questions, preparing for board exams right now. And then whenever things kind of open back up for the hospitals or open back up for medical school, then we'll go back and finish some of our clinical stuff. So it's, it's a different experience right now, but um, I think we're lucky that we can actually do some things virtually and still, you know, do everything we need to do to get our license. So pretty and, fortunate. And do you have any sense from your school about when you might be able to get back in the hospital or back up to campus? Yeah. So the plan right now and the plans, you know, obviously the targets keep moving, but um, the plan right now is for us to go back on June 8th. Okay. Um, we'll have an exam around that time and then we'll try to get as much clinical work in before we technically start fourth year. Okay. Yeah. Well, the one good thing is this is giving you a break from the end of your life. Because if anybody doesn't know about <laughs> med school, like you're, you're, actually your fourth year is apparently sort of easier and then your residency, you're just Yeah. You're yeah, done. the fourth year you get, you get some time off to, to quote unquote, like schedule for right. stuff like that. But it's supposed to be the kind of calm before the storm. This is, this is the glamour of becoming a physician. Well done. Okay. Well, congratulations on that part. That's actually a big step. And uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But, but as you know, there's a, we're hosting a virtual competition of all the high school teams that have ever participated in Texas. And we are at the championship. So that voting is open as we speak. Um, and your team from Baytown Sterling in 2007 will be facing the 01 um, Baytown Sterling team actually not will but is that yes. uh, that polling is open. So um, I, given that, let's start with your recollections first of all of that final season in '07 because that you 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 won the MVP, your team won the state championship, and then it obviously propelled you into a career in college. But what is your recollection of that 
particular season if you have it? Well, I, I think like I, it'd be hard for me to talk about 2007 without talking about 2006 because the year before that, it was basically that entire 2017 team with Austin and Dan and who are our two seniors who had left, but we weren't able to actually play in the final. We lost to Cy Creek in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was tough because I had broken my arm. I was gone basically most of the year. So I came back for the, the state tournament and wow. I essentially wasn't the same. And there was some, I, if I remember correctly, there was some like controversial calls in that game, but whatever. Cy Creek won fair and square for sure. Um, and then Austin actually wasn't able to play um, in the tournament. He had like a health issue that he was dealing with. And so like two of our top players were not the same or not, not able to play. And I feel like that team was actually better than the 2017. Really? Yeah. I, I personally feel like that 2016 was better. We just, you know, just unfortunate that we weren't able to play at full strength at the, at the right time. Yeah. Okay. But that, I think losing that tournament, you know, not being healthy really kind of um, whenever we thought we would have had a good chance kind of propelled us into the next year. I, I felt like everyone was really focused. We were really close knit. Uh, you know, uh, coach, coach Slay and TJ were, um, you know, really great coaches and prepared us for, for all the games. I, th I felt like we had a really, it, it felt like a pretty smooth season and we, and we were all pretty much laser focused on like what we wanted to get done. So it was, it was really satisfying. Right. So, so that season, I don't know if it, you, you call it smooth and that's interesting because I'm wondering if there were any particular highlights because a lot of seasons are, you know, they're, they're roller coasters with yours. It sounded to me, it was like almost predictable. Well, I think, you know, the, the year before us, there was a lot of talent that had left, right? Like with, with um, the two Austins, Austin Oliver, Austin DeLong, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that, I believe Side Creek won that year, and that was yeah. a really solid team. So I felt like, you know, this is our time. Like if, if there's any time for us to win, we had kind of, you know, not really personally lived up to our expectations from my freshman year all the way through our junior year. Right. Um, so this was just like, you know, let's, let's get this done. I, I feel like it, it, I didn't feel like my high school career would have been complete without actually winning the state championship. Cause ultimately like, that's why we practiced in the summer, right? That's why we did swimming. That's why we did all these things throughout the year was, was for the state championship, not right. necessarily to play in college or, or to go on to have college careers that ended up being a result of that. But I think we really have always wanted to put the banner up and that was that was our goal from the beginning so right. those those teams between 06 and 07 um i obviously was not here so uh, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with them but they're apparently just loaded with talent what what can you tell us about the other guys on either one of those teams who were the who were the standouts what do you remember about them yeah um so 06 senior, the seniors, Austin, Austin Oliver. Um, first of all, we all grew up together. Like we've okay. all literally been playing with each other since I was in elementary school or junior high. Like we, we had known each other for so many years. Um, so we were all pretty close and like brothers. Um, but uh, yeah, Austin, he is, he was our, our main two meter man. He has the, the most amazing backhand I've ever seen um he is strong he's a he's a good defender he's smart he's a really good passer um has really good vision 
Um, he's just an excellent all-around player, and that kind of proved out when he was in college when he was putting up pretty solid numbers um, at Occidental. Um, uh, the other senior was uh, Dannon, Dannon Ponder. He, uh, he's, you know, got some length. He's got some height. He's fast. He, he can shoot the ball. He's a reliable – he's a really good reliable defender. He kind of gets under the skin of the other team because he he likes to <laughs> he likes to uh, to mess around a little bit. Um, but he he's an awesome teammate, um, and he was a really good player for us. Um, obviously, um, Matt Chapa, fast, quick, athletic, can get up. Um, knows I feel like him and I we had played with each other for a long time as well, so we kind of knew where each of us were going. Uh, like at all times, like you kind of just know, if I get a steal, I know Matt's gone. Like I know where he's going, right? Like he's just, he's up the court in, in a flash and you just kind of get, get it out to him, outlet to him as fast as you can so he can finish. He's a really good finisher as well. Uh, Stevie, I know Coach Mack talked about um, his growth <laughs> from uh, kind of being uh, you know, a, a, a chubbier kid, um, but he really grew from from sophomore year till junior year. That was the big transition where he really grew, and he was kind of learning his body the junior year. So he was kind of learning, like, you know, what was comfortable for him, I think. And then by the time senior year came around, he was able to fill in for Austin as our, like, really solid dominant two-meter presence. He was on the post. Um, you could essentially, if I was playing the four spot, right? You like, I don't know what the numbering system is now, um, but if I was playing the four spot on six on five, essentially where I'm on the left post, but I'm I'm the the guy that has the ball up top. Yeah. Um, and if I rotate towards the middle and Stevie's on that two post, like, if 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 players are coming to me, I give it to him. If if players are coming to me and they're crashing to Stevie, Matt is at the one and I throw it to Matt and he, he, he scores really quickly. Like, so it was just like a, like, it was a really uh, fun experience to have a, a really close connection with people and kind of, you know, be able to fill in positions and, and uh, make passes and know that you can play defense all together and everyone's on the same page. Like, it was just kind of like, like poetry in motion almost sometimes. Nice. Like it, was, it was fun. And we'll, we'll, we're going to come back to this, but these are all teammates from Viper Pigeon as well, right? So Viper Pigeon didn't start until after. Yeah, it didn't start until after I graduated high school. We were actually mm -hmm. Dirty Bay first. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, we're the, the Dirty Bay Buccaneers. Um, and we, the first time all of us played together, in a in a tournament like a pretty big tournament was actually speedo cup when i was in seventh grade wow. so but we had been playing locally since i was in third grade or something like that we've been playing in the jalapeno league tournament i remember everyone wanted wanted to be the hot peppers so <laughs> <laughs> and these and, and these guys on your sterling team were essentially on that same club yeah. program yeah yeah okay so you, you've learned, you basically had a, a system in place before you even got there. And um, one of the commonalities between all of this is Scott Slay. And um, mm -hmm. we've had conversations with him, obviously. He was there basically from the point at which you started playing until you left. Is that more or less correct? Yeah, like some of my earliest memories 
are when I first started summer league swimming and I started water polo that same year was, was Scott. He was, he was always there for us and he was always involved um, in our development. And he, I think the thing that is really awesome about him is that he really focuses on developing young players. I like, you can't say that enough. You can't just have, you can't just, have a good high school team without having good players to continually develop, to bring into that high school. So I think that was something that he was really good at. Um, and that's what uh, ultimately allowed us to be successful. He's had a ton of success, obviously, and um, had played in college as well. So I'm now I'm, I'm curious about how his role and just the general process of you getting to USC. So, Texans in general are sort of dispersed in schools across the country, but not really to USC, not, not terribly often. So I'm wondering how, how does that happen? You're in your senior year. You know that you're having a successful season. Is USC contacting you? Are you contacting them? What do you remember about that process? So generally, it all starts like with the national team, right? So Scott, Scott was always a proponent for us to go to California and go train as much as we can and go try out for the national team. Um, and so I, I had made a few of the, like the select teams and the, 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 what are they called? The youth teams and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I had, I had, you know, relatively decent exposure um, to some college coaches. Um, and then you kind of just get stuff in the mail. Like people will send you stuff in the mail. Uh, you fill out like your swim times and you fill out like your, interests and stuff like that. I don't remember exactly what the, the mail was. It's probably email now or probably some <laughs> Zoom meeting now. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like an old man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you get the letters in the mail, you fill them out, and then, uh, and then you start contacting the coach. Like sometimes, uh, I, think, I think there was like a list on usawaterpolo.com or something like that. Yeah. And they had a list of all the college coaches and their emails. And so you would... I would personally just go down the list of schools that I was interested in and I would send them an email and if they responded, if they didn't, they didn't. Like it's kind of, you kind of have to put in the legwork, especially being from Texas. You, you have to show your interest for them to even have an interest in you. Sometimes they don't even know who you are, right? So you have to put yourself out there. And that's kind of, that was kind of my, uh, my thing uh, of trying to get into USC. And then in terms of USC specifically, um, my senior or my, so between my junior and senior year of high school, my national team coach was Robert Lynn. Mm -hmm. And Robert yeah. Lynn, a, a USC alum. Uh, and so he, he did a, like coach Lynn was pretty influential in like fixing a lot, some of my like, um, uh technique issues stuff like that like he he helped tweak some of my game a lot that kind of i think kind of helped me from junior to senior year as well um but he i think he put in a good word for me with with coach Vavich and um he, that helped me a lot so, but i think i don't want to discredit like scott's influence i think scott allowed me to play in California a lot more than a lot of other kids may have been allowed to play, right? Like, I think he allowed me to, to, to have that exposure um, 
and to and to gain that experience away from the Texas club. Right. And he was he was totally for me, always trying to improve my game. And and so that was that was super influential. Um, just for trivia's sake, Robert Lynn was my high school teammate. He's the smartest water polo player I've ever seen. Like yes. He, he, and he's a very interesting fella. So he's yes. very, very interesting. But man, oh yes. man, that guy knew what was going to happen four steps in advance. Yeah, he, he is amazing. Um, and he also, he had like this system that he would run, like this Hungarian system. It was like every day you were doing the exact same thing. And you were building on specific basic skills every single day. Um, and I thought that was, that was really cool. Um, and something that I kind of tried to do whenever I would leave the summer, I would, I would leave the, the U.S. water polo team and talk with, with some of our coaches. And we would kind of just try to start doing some of the stuff that they were doing. So it was pretty, it was cool to learn from, from, uh, from Coach Lynn. He was, he was awesome. Yeah, he, he played overseas for quite a while. And from my last, well, um, well, not last, but a conversation I had with him about a decade ago, he just relayed how when he was playing in France, one of his uh, coaches was Serbian, and that guy essentially became his guru. So he learned everything from, I don't, mm. I don't recall the name, but from that guy. He was coaching Harvard-Westlake at the time. Okay. And yeah. One of the times that I saw him. And I watched it, and I'd been out of the game for a while, so things had changed. But his offense, I remember talking to him afterwards, and we're like, your offense is so boring. It meaning he's basic, and all he was doing was probing for openings, right? So the ball get, gets passed them back and forth between three and four, three and four, three and four, and then there might be a slight drive and some place to clear out, you know. And that was it. And he talked about how his coach was really into simplicity and and uh, finding these gaps that that the defense was going to allow you to have. It was really fascinating stuff. Anyway, yeah. And, and to add to that, even on like six on five, like just kind of like, like you were saying, probing for openings and kind of just, it's like these like micro movements, like yeah. just kind of like filling in the, that space. And then once that space opens and once you fill it in, like how are people reacting to you? And from that reaction, you, you know exactly what to do, whether to pass or whether to shoot um, or whether to fake. So right. I, and I, I thought it was pretty cool. And having your toes pointed the correct direction and yes. your hand sculling in the right direction and yeah. all the, yeah, it's a, that, that and even the way you hold the ball up, like he had a very specific, like you start with the ball in front of you, you pick it up from underneath, you bring it around and then you like, he had a very, like every day in practice, that's what, that we would do that for like 10, 15 minutes. Wow. So really was, interesting. Yeah. So that actually gave you a bit of a leg up. And then, so here's a quote that I found from the Baytown Sun back in the day. It said um, that you could have picked an easier place to play than USC, which you chose over California, uh, other schools from California, Occidental, Santa Clara, Stanford, and LMU. Is that accurate? Uh, I did not get into Stanford. Mm -hmm. But the other schools... I don't, I think I got into Santa Clara. I think I did, but I know I definitely got into LMU. Okay. Uh, that's actually, I got into LMU pretty early um, on in senior years. So that was, it's also nice to have like kind of a team that was really good at the time. LMU was really good. And yeah. I, I really liked the, the school and the coaches and the campus. Um, and then USC kind of came on later, like after the season. Um, and I went, to, I made a visit to USC in November. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. 
well, they, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say they, like we I actually went to a junior day, which was kind of weird because it was all junior people. So I didn't really know them, but I was just there with, I went with my mom and we visited the campus. We saw a game, we met some of the players and it, like, it was really cool because I knew some of the players like, like Borisov was one of my, one of my good friends from the team. Um, he, he, him and his dad have always been super supportive of me because a lot of times people from, you know, from California, at least before getting into USC, they, they kind of thumb their nose at Texas water polo and like they, they, they don't really, they, they kind of make it harder for you than it would be for, for some other kids. Um, but I, I felt like having that USC connection with, with, uh, Devin Borisov and, and his dad and, and, uh, they they were always supportive of me and I felt like, you know, if I go to this school, I know that I'll have someone in my corner and a friend and like someone who can help me out. So that was pretty cool as well. Well, let's get into that. That's super interesting. So um, as we've mentioned, you know, Texans are considered something. We don't know exactly what. So when you show up, like, you know, you're on the team and you're, you're, you redshirt the first year. So what is it that you're actually doing your freshman year? I went to, as a freshman, you kind of, so when you're redshirting, you're learning the system. That's right. the key thing. And so I would, I learned the system, which was something that was a little bit foreign to me in terms of having to learn like specific plays and stuff like that, um, which was interesting. Uh, so I was learning the system and then also obviously getting in shape. Um, but the thing that was also required of us or something that helped us learn or helped me learn in particular was we filmed the games and as as you film the games you had to narrate them mm. and so like as because like every game is taped and then Jovan would watch every game after that and then he would even comment on your narration if you were being if you <laughs> if you weren't doing a good job right but um yeah so I think that kind of helped me learn the system and and um kind of get up to speed because you have to know where every player is, what their numbers are, obviously, but like where they're supposed to be and where they're going. Um, and obviously you're, you're reporting on the results of the play and all that. But um, it, I think that that was pretty, pretty cool and something that I was, you know, at first I was like, oh man, we have to do this. But then you realize, okay, I'm actually, I'm actually learning and this is, right. this is fun. Um, so yeah, freshman year, you're doing that. I went to all the practices. You're, you're practicing against the first team. Um, all the time like you're you're involved um it's not like red shirt year you're just kind of sitting around um it's it's basically everything but the game god well that's what i was going to get at right so you're you're actually in the pool for your freshman year even though you're redshirting because you're training with everybody else what are your recollections um about that you know those first practices like there's a there's that first you know, I don't know if you have hell week, you've got a couple of weeks where you're basically exposing yourself to everybody else on the team. What are your recollections about what their impressions were of you having come from a, a place that does not necessarily produce all these uh, as many yeah. players? Uh, one of the things I remember in particular was, yeah, we came in and did like a hell week, but um, because I was from Texas, there was some rule. I don't know if they still have it, but if you didn't live within like 50 miles of the school, then you couldn't participate in the summer activities. Mm. And so a lot of the freshmen who were able to participate in some of those summer activities kind of had a leg up because they're from LA. Right. 
Um, and so I remember coming in and being like, okay, I wish I'd had the opportunity to, to do something this summer, right? So that I could, that I could come in and try to contribute, but it just didn't seem like it was in the cards and I felt like I was a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the team itself, I felt like almost automatically people were, were really receptive of me. Um, they were really, really nice, um, helpful. Particularly, like a lot of the freshmen that I was with, like we we really bonded pretty pretty quickly. Um, I was lucky that I had actually one of my best friends um, from my water polo career in Michael Rosenthal, um, who I was rooming with, um, and so we had known each other since eighth grade, ninth grade, or something like that. So there was a lot of familiarity on that team, and like I said, with the Borisovs and meeting all those guys like I feel like everyone was pretty um receptive and and awesome to me to be honest so um, and Ro- Rosenthal's from Miami so you're suggesting yeah and so you're suggesting basically that the rest of the team including him you never got any eye rolls or nobody was ever criticizing like you don't know what the hell you're doing any of that um I'm I'm sure I did some, <laughs> some stuff I, I, I'm not gonna say I didn't I don't, nothing really sticks out like okay. as a, a sore thumb. Like That's there's great. nothing, yeah, nothing really sticks out as to where, um, like, yeah, I mean, every, like, that's the thing. Everyone gets yelled at so much. Like it's not, <laughs> like it, it doesn't, and it, and I will say it's honestly like, it's kind of good in a way. Like I feel like now if I, if I were to mess up doing something, like if somebody yells at me, it doesn't affect me the same way as it would maybe someone else who's never really dealt with that type of personality. So I feel like right away you get, you kind of get yelled at, like, it's just part, it's par for the course. Like it's just kind of what happens (laughs) and you you get over it. Sometimes some, some things will be said that get under your skin, but for the most part, like you, you know what to expect. Yolan has made med school just a cakewalk for you. (laughs) Essentially, yes. We've reached the halfway point of today's podcast and we'll return after this. In many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, we're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to txwaterpolo.com slash donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, I'm U.S. Olympian Janai Kerr, and when I need to stay up to date with my water polo news in Texas, I listen to the TX Water Polo Podcast. Now, part two of today's show. Okay, so, uh, and then and then just if you could, like, well, now that you look back on that, what do you think you were prepared for and what were you not prepared for when you started playing at USC? Um, so prepared for, I was, I was in shape. I was ready to go, um, at least swimming-wise. I think one of the things I, I probably could have done that summer before or even a few years before was really get into the weight room. Like these guys were not only bigger than me in terms of height, but they're also significantly stronger. And that's something I, I needed to work on uh, for sure. Uh, I think the concepts of the plays were pretty easy to understand. Um, some of the defensive plays were a little bit more intricate than I had ever really dealt with before. 
but I think in general, like the concepts were pretty, were pretty solid and they, they're, they always harken back to fundamentals. So like you can kind of figure it out, but just kind of memorizing the plays and, uh, and like really getting into the playbook is something I'd never really needed to do. Like we, we, we didn't really have a, like a huge playbook in high school or even on like the national team. Like you just kind of, you had a system, like you kind of played off of feel more or less rather than playing off of like very rigid, like this is the play we're running right now. Right. Like rather than just like figuring out what side the two, the two man's on, like the the whole man is on, you're actually maybe that whole guy is being a decoy now and you're running like a a pick on this side and then you're running like a, a, like a drive on the other side. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just a lot, it's a lot more to kind of, digest and a lot more to kind of understand um and it's just a lot faster so it took me it took me some time to kind of get uh, a full grasp of of those concepts and and and, um, be able to apply them so okay um let's move on so 2009 you're a redshirt freshman um Mm -hmm. and what's curious is that you were there with saint mark's um michael cheshua i I don't know if i'm yeah Directly. Yeah, Shashua. Yeah. Yeah, Shashua. Does that, it, it, does the fact that there's another Texan there make much of a difference? I mean, you'd obviously established friendships with other people anyway, but did that matter to you at all? Yeah, of course. I, Michael Shashua, I've known him obviously for a while before that as well. So we were, we were good friends. And so it's, it's always, I would say it's always good to have people that you know and like and can trust. Um, who are around you. And he, like, he was a, a really good teammate and a, and a good friend. And I was really happy to have him around for sure. Right. Uh, LA is, it's a big place. Uh, USC's, you know, it's a private school, but it's a pretty big private school as well. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it was great having uh, Michael around and graduating with him. Excellent. And, and um, we've neglected to mention 0809 national champions. I mean, that, that's got to be quite something. You, you've, you've made the determination at some point that USC is where you want to go. And next thing you know, you're yeah. a champion. Yeah. And kind of like the start of uh, a dynasty. I, I would right. say. That, that was pretty cool. So then 2010 redshirt sophomore. Um, and here's the most important part of your year was that when I watched you play. So uh, living in the Bay area at the time, you came up to Stanford and, Unfortunately for you, you lost only one of two games of the whole year. Yeah. The 5-3 loss to Stanford. Um, mm-hmm. Intense uh, atmosphere from my recollection. It's really fun, but I don't know whether you remember that game at all. I, I, I totally remember that game. Uh, and that was, that was funny because, you know, Stanford is known to be like the nerds, obviously, right? Like oh, the... don't get me started that. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. No, no but they're, yeah, like they're known to, you know, from an outsider's perspective, they're yeah. known to be like these highly intellectual um, people. And, you know, obviously they're very smart, but that was the first time, man, I'd been heckled. I was heckled <laughs> there like I'd never been heckled before. Oh, yes. Like racial stuff too. Like there was Ooh. talking about like, it, yeah, it was, it was not pleasant. And I was, I was not happy at some of those fans, but. No, they're um, the ones who, who are on the. Atmosphere. They're the ones on the sunny side of the pool because that's where I was. And they're the ones who are closest. Actually, that's where the benches are. The benches are, I can't remember, that must be the 
east side, but the, the benches are on that side, and they're basically looking down on you from this sort of auditorium kind of thing, and, and they're right there. So, yeah, I, by the way, it wasn't me who was insulting you. No, yeah. <laughs> no, it was totally... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there were definitely some students. Also. I, I was, I was an, a, an objective observer, but yeah, well, that's not good that they went that direction. So uh, I didn't, I did not know that. I didn't hear it at the time, so that's not good. And but think I, the, I, the atmosphere in of itself is is unlike any other. I thought it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, besides some of the heckling, but honestly, like it was, it was a, an, an amazing experience. Right. I have a question for you about that because this was not something I was going to bring up. Do you have any sense for when somebody goes that ridiculous racial direction, if it's just basically trying to get under your skin or do you get the sense that they really mean it or does it matter? I think, I think it matters. It matters for sure. Um, but if you can, if you can kind of, like you said, decipher if someone's really just trying to get under your skin or if they really mean it, then, then that's whenever you should, you know, make sure that they know that that's not the right thing to do, I guess. I, I mean, obviously, I wasn't in a position where I'm going to be yelling at the, the, the people who are heckling at me. I, I don't think that would bring a good light on myself. But if they, if they cross the line, uh, I would definitely have done something. I'm not saying physical, um, but I'm just saying, like, I definitely would have told somebody, uh, like, security or something to right. make sure that something that they knew what was going on like it, it wasn't to like a super bad extent what they were saying so i right. it was it was somewhat in jest but um yeah like if if they had done something that had crossed the line i would have told somebody it, it breaks mind because back in the you know old nfl days you know and maybe it's still the case i don't really know but it, during games like people would say things to each other that were a hundred percent unacceptable in polite company and so I, and it was all psychological i'm mm -hmm. sure that there were genuine racists undoubtedly yeah. but you can yeah. you can think that they were also just trying to screw with somebody else's mind that's why that's the only reason i even yeah, for sure. Um, there's definitely a psychology to it, um, or a psychology aspect to it. So, yeah, and it can it can definitely affect people. I can see how that could affect someone. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's it's hard playing in a place where you don't feel comfortable, or in, or in a space where you don't feel comfortable. Uh, so I, I can see how that would be an effective way, but probably not a way that I would go about. No. Trash no. talking in the so you would think that the enlightened students of Stanford would be. Able to <laughs> yeah, that, but and <laughs> let me editorialize for a moment. There's nothing more nauseating than this nerd nation nonsense that comes out of Stanford. <laughs> this is just my opinion, because they're not that special. So they are very good students. They get into the school, but this whole thing, we're like, oh, we're above it all because we wear, uh, you know, cool framed glasses and we have tape <laughs> on the middle. It's it's. Oh, I, I don't like it at all. So <laughs> my apologies to you, Stanford fans. I lived there for a while, so I got to see it in first person. But it's just, uh, I, I wish they would move on from that. Yeah. <laughs> student athlete is totally fine. Okay? Um, yeah. All right, enough of me ranting. So um, then, so at the end of that season, your third national championship, a win over Cal. Um, do you have any recollections of that game? Uh, like double overtime? Was that right? Yeah, like in yeah. the rain. Yeah, yeah, that at, was at that was yeah. I just at, yeah, beating Cal at Cal, a team that they had. Uh, I forget the names of their their two 
uh, European guys that were pretty good. But, you know, just like they, they, that was a team that kind of always got under your skin. Cal. Um, and like, it's just, just really satisfying to, to finish them. I, I think Nikola Bobic had like an amazing game. He ended up hitting the game winner, I believe. Uh, and like, I just remember jumping in the pool and, mm. and celebrating with everyone. That was, that was pretty awesome. Great stuff. Yeah, that that atmosphere because um, it's that spiker speaker, however you pronounce it, yeah. and the seats are right there, basically on the deck, and it is it is raining, like it is yeah. pouring, and the the uh, obviously there are some uh, you know well lubricated fans in the stands, and, uh, <laughs> but and they're having a good time, but otherwise you would think like this is just miserable because it's Bay Area sort of uh, mm -hmm. rain, it's chilly so uh, really one of the most memorable atmospheres i can remember and i wasn't even there i was just watching it the stream at the time. yeah that was amazing amazing so so then after that uh, you're you're basically done is that correct i mean tell us a little bit about what happens next with you personally as part of the team and as just a student yeah so i i'd been dealing with some hip injuries at the time and you know i wasn't i was a i was practicing every day but I, I wasn't feeling the same and I, I didn't feel like I was personally going to be playing enough to like justify what my body was going to go through mm, yeah like there was there was a a really close I was really close to getting hip surgery and like rehabbing and doing all that stuff but I just kind of decided like you know it's, it was like going into my senior year kind of thinking about what I wanted to do after college and I was like you know what I'm an econ major now, but I, I really want to go to med school, something that I'd always kind of thought in the back of my head, like, you know, I, I should just pull the trigger and go to go and do this whole med school thing. And um, and so I just decided I, you know, I wasn't going to play anymore. And I went up to Jovan's office and I talked with him and I told him like, hey, you know, I want to I want to be a doctor and I don't know if I can play water polo with this much time commitment and not necessarily focus as much on school as I probably should have um, or could have. Um, and he was totally supportive of me. And he was like, you know, I'm, he's like, I've seen a lot of people stop just because they wanted to quit, but to ha actually have like a plan, like that was something that he mm, thought was yeah. relatively impressive and, and something that he respect, he always respected me for. And like, I've always had a pretty solid, you know, relationship with him. Like I did not leave the team like in bad, blood or anything like that like I, I talked with him I talked with the entire team like right after that um before we I think before like our weight session so it wasn't like I kind of just like left it was it was more or less like me making sure that everybody knew what was going on and and what my plans were uh, ultimately so it was something I felt comfortable doing and I'm to this day I think it was a good um it was a good idea for me to do and I, I don't really regret it at all I was going to ask you exactly that, because um, you could see, in theory, even though you're in the midst of actually achieving the things that you want to do career-wise, you could look back and think, ah, I could have done one more year or something like that, but you're, you're comfortable with the way things left off. Yeah, and it's also, like, those are my best friends, too, so, mm. like, seeing them win, like, I was there. I think the next year was at Cal again. Was it at Cal again the next year? I don't remember that one, yeah. But uh, I, I was, I went to a lot of those games, majority of those games, I, I definitely went up to the, to um, the final as well. Like I, 
I, the, seeing my friends win as well was something that was really important to me. So I was really happy for them, like legitimately happy for them. And, you know, I had made this choice that was kind of outside of, you know, the influence of that. So I thought, you know, that's what was best for me. And, and ultimately it ended up working out. So I really don't have any uh, regrets of, of doing what I did. And I'm pretty happy with it. I know, and uh, you mentioned Jovan. We can't get away from the fact of the, of the allegations that he's facing. He was let go, and he's a part of an investigation into admissions fraud. I don't necessarily want to go into that, and you're obviously free to comment one way or the other. But I want to know more about him as a coach because, and you made, made mention of his style and so on. He's almost universally admired by his athletes, as far as I know, mm-hmm. and he's. I would argue he's the best collegiate coach in history. I don't know if there's a huge amount of debate about that, but um, what else can you tell him, tell us about his style? What, what did you um, notice about it that was so different from maybe the other coaches in, in, uh, in college water polo? I think the, the thing that set him apart was just his preparedness. Like we studied other teams better than they studied themselves sometimes. I felt like we knew exactly what they were coming out to do. We knew exactly how they used their players. And that was all a testament to, to the scouting that he would do, um, the scouting that him and, and the staff would do, uh, uh, Coach Pinterich, um and Coach Moon. The, the, they, were, they were workaholics, like that entire coaching staff. Um, and like his quote or Jovan's kind of quote that he would always say to us was, you know, expect the best, but prepare for the worst. Right. So we would always know exactly what to do in, in certain situations. And I think, you know, we were better, we were in better shape than everyone else. Um, and we were, I felt like, well, I felt like we were in better shape than everyone else. We were able to finish games. Uh, and also I felt like we were better prepared than other teams. And then he would also pull in plays, I think, from like European leagues and stuff mm. like that, that he would see whenever he goes home, um, that maybe some other coaches may not have the opportunity to go see. Uh, so I think that combined with his work ethic and his just his acumen for the game is just what set him apart from other coaches and allowed him to sustain that success for such a long time. And like you really you can tell when someone's doing the right thing, when new players are coming in year after year and you're getting the same results. Right. Exactly. So, so I, want, I want to mention to you, there's a, a Sports Illustrated article that references what we talked about with Yovan uh, from 2019, but I wanted to uh, give you a quote and see what you had to say about that. Um, it says, quote, Vavich would work with his top players at one end of the pool while his assistants schooled the red shirts at the other. Then Vavich would weed out the weaker players with his grueling practices, his grading coaching style, and hours of, quote, punishment swims. Is that something that, that resonates with you, or, or do you have a different version of events? I mean, I've definitely been involved in a punishment swim. <laughs> like, if, if you – there were certain rules. Like, if you – let's say, okay, so I'm a two-meter – let's say I, I went in a post-up on two meters, right, and the ball turned over. And in that turnover, if I committed a, uh, in a, if I got ejected in the mm. backcourt, yeah, that was an automatic hundred hundreds. Like there's just like wow. things that you know not to do, and I I did that, <laughs> I did that once or twice for sure. I remember that, but uh, I w- I wouldn't say 
that was very common. Um, if we were if we were messing around in practice, if the focus wasn't there, we're just we're sprinting. Like I think that's a lot of coaches, right? Yes. Like I don't think that's yeah. that's like out of this world. Um, but there were rules that you knew if you broke, then you would get punished, and that's just kind of how it went. And I wasn't someone who if I did something wrong, I wasn't going to shy away from it. Like if I did something wrong and that was the rule, then, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. It's unfortunate. I may not have thought I should have gotten called. And actually on a lot of those, if he felt like if he, he would go back in the tape just to make sure that, that it was a legit call. And if it wasn't a legit call, you wouldn't have to swim. Okay. If he felt like it was unfair, you wouldn't have to swim. So that's excellent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another quote, and this will be the last one, but I'm very curious. You're, you, that redshirt class that you were part of, I think it said it was, there were 16 of you, including Rosenthal. Yeah. Uh, and what a t- I mean, you could have fielded a, <laughs> just an immensely talented team if just that redshirt class had hopped in together. But um, one of your teammates, Matt Burton from Miracosta, was, uh, was, was quoted in this piece as saying, Players would leave all the time, unhappy with their playing time, fed up over Bobich's coaching style, or simply more interested in focusing on school. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and he'd say, I'd say there were usually five or six guys that dropped out every year. Um, we talked about this a little bit before off the air, but um, what is it that, that, so given those circumstances, what made you stay? I, I felt like I, I could handle the coaching style I, I I felt like you know you kind of go through it once and you kind of get like what the point is it's annoying I'm not saying it's it's not difficult or not annoying but you kind of understand like okay this is this is where he's coming from or 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 um you kind of have been through it already so it doesn't affect you as much I don't know I wasn't, I obviously didn't leave because I felt like I was being treated unfairly or right. I felt like I was being yelled at too much. Like that wasn't my personal experience. I mean, the practices were hard, but like I'd been through those practices already for two years. Mm. Like it wasn't something I couldn't, I didn't feel like I couldn't handle. Like I obviously left under different circumstances, but I feel like, yeah, like they can get to you, like the, the hours that you're putting in, um, kind of like the monotony of going through plays, like play after play after play, doing the same thing. I can, I can see how that might get to people, but you know, if you love the game and you want to play and you want to get better and you feel like this is the program you chose and this is where you want to be, then until those kind of until you those ideas fade, that's where you're going to stay. Right. Um, and so, obviously, there, there's people weigh the the pros and cons of of staying and um, going through that kind of grueling process, but it, it, it eventually, ultimately, makes you makes you stronger right and I don't think people necessarily understand like how those experiences can be applied to other things outside of sports which you've clearly done I mean it requires a bunch of discipline to take the MCATs and go on medical school yeah and and even like I had to take the MCAT twice right like it so it wasn't it's not always like you know, things are going to be easy for you. I, I think that's kind of just a testament to, you know, things are going to be difficult and it's just, you know, how are you going to prepare yourself for the next challenge? And that, that's kind of like the way that, that he taught us and the way that he was, was involved in coaching us. So I thought that was really beneficial. Amazing stuff. Let's, let's come back to Houston quick, quickly before I let you go. Um, Cause I, we've gone kind of out of order by design. 
Um, yeah. your, your family's been in Texas for quite some time. And you mentioned, obviously, Coach Slay being so influential. But how did yeah. you – tell us a little bit again about how you found water polo in the first place. So, so I moved from Minnesota when I was in second grade. So I was about seven uh, in 2008. And, or, sorry, 1998. <laughs> and I joined – so I started elementary school. And it was before – it was like the, the spring semester, I think, was when I mm-hmm. moved. And right. so they were, one of the students in my class was handing out flyers for the summer league swim team. And so at that time, I, I had never swam before, really. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't like that athletic. I wasn't like a big kid or anything like that. I was just kind of average, I would say. Um, but I loved, I loved sports, and I felt like, you know, this would be something that's interesting. So I started swimming that year. Um, and actually started playing water polo that same year in second grade. And like at the time, there wasn't, there weren't a whole lot of players my age who were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like me and Matt and Austin, uh, Dannon uh, and Stevie and uh, Matt's brother Gabe and like uh, Blake Burns, who was our goalie on that 2017. Like we, we, it was like a smaller kind of unit at the beginning, but we would always we wouldn't necessarily have our own practices at first. We would practice like with the high school team or we would practice with people who were a little bit older. So I think that that, that was kind of uh, an influence on us and kind of taught us the right way. And a lot of those players um, were in that 2001 team. A lot of those, those players who kind of taught us the game or kind of made us stronger uh, players that we looked up to were, were on that 2001 team. And there's a lot of connections between that 2001 team and that 2007 team. So um, that's kind of how everything started. In, in general, what's interesting uh, about that is that some of, I don't, I don't know if this is universal, but many of the really great programs of any kind have the system where the older players are really doing a lot of coaching in a sense right they're in the pool and they're teaching you what to do I remember that yeah. personally and so it sounds to me like you you had a very yeah I, I mean Andrew Pudwell for sure um taught us a lot and I, I specifically remember Dustin Fleming like I know coach Mack raved about him and like everything he said it was true he's just an amazing guy um he, I, I specifically remember him getting in the pool with us and teaching us stuff like like this is like they're like moving us in certain places and telling us where to go and what to where to what to do. Um, definitely, definitely a major influence on us uh, growing up, and and something that like we we kind of are indebted to. Like I think having those experiences with with the older players like is only a benefit. So you have one more year of med school. You're you know again your life is over for a few years before you start practicing. <laughs> What do you envision your role being, if any, in water polo when your career starts? Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> uh, I, I, like in between USC and here and med school, I was doing some coaching on the, mm-hmm. on the side a little bit. Um, I, I'm obviously not in a place in Lubbock where there's any water polo, really. There, there's like a club team, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe doing some coaching. I think that's probably like the most involved I could be at this point. Right. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'd have the, the, the bandwidth to really get involved into the administrative stuff. 
but maybe coaching like some some youth teams or something like that would be something that I'd be interested in. Maybe getting, uh, depending on where I go for residency, um, maybe doing some some uh, club water polo again uh, for masters. So that that's that, ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, that's we'll ambitious. see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your your time is uh, not your time when you're in yeah, that situation. Exactly. Right? Well, yeah. yeah. That would be incredible. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, though, to finish things up. Um, Zane Bilal, that name comes up when you're talking about the best players to ever come out of the state of Texas. Where do you think you you reside in that in that conversation? Um, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> that's uh, the point. <laughs> I would say I'm up there, but I think it's just, it's hard to compare people from different eras. I think we had an advantage um, in my era because we really focused on going to bigger tournaments and playing on the national team, whereas I'm not sure other players in earlier eras had that opportunity. Um, so I, th I think, I, I, I can't give you an exact number of where I am, but... May I, I would say I'm up there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Name some other names. I mean, it's not to put you on the spot anymore because that's a very fine answer. But who are the ones that you think have come out of the state that were, you know, that you recollect as being some of the best? Well, Travis Benson. Yeah. Uh, well, these are just guys that I know personally. Sure. Austin, yeah, Austin yeah. Long, Austin Oliver, uh, Matt Choppa, Stevie Ray. Like, they, they've all had really amazing college careers. Um, they put up amazing numbers in college, so that that cannot be discredited. Uh, and then, uh, who else kind of coming up, uh, kind of blanking on some names? That's all right. It's, it's it's your contemporaries mostly that I, I suspect that you remember. Um, yeah, Travis was just a couple years before you when he won the MVP. Yeah, he was he was pretty good, and actually he was at he was at Long Beach State whenever I was at SC. Mm. And so that was, you talked about like having Texas people in LA, like that was really cool actually being able to see him. Uh, he was always pretty supportive of, as well. Um, see him whenever I went over there, so. Excellent, well, we've taken enough of your time. That is Zane Bilal, who is the 2007 Tisca Water Polo Player of the Year and USC National Championship champion. Um, Zane, thank you so much for your time, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's it for today's show. My thanks to Zane Bilal for spending time with me on Zoom, and thank you for listening and for tolerating a conversation that sounds a lot like it was done out of a bathtub, which it wasn't. But, um, and if you're wondering about the music that we end with, that's 12 Hour Mary, whose lead singer was Brett Bixby, a high school team and bandmate of mine, and you can find his solo work on myspace.com forward slash Brett Bixby. Until next time, so long from Austin.
This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC. My dog is scratching at the door. Uh, I can hear him.